Good morning, we're gonna look at Psalm 126 again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's word. I feel like I don't need to preach after that. So. That was awesome. Um, well, good morning. My name is Jeff Skipper, one of the pastors at Redeemer. I've been over at Redeemer Southwest the last few years. Um, and so as we transition back, it's, it's good to be here. I've kind of been in the Redeemer family for about the last seven years. Um, so as Southwest does transition, though, it's, I've just been thinking, it's reminded me that we're in a story. We're in a story. And uh, it's reminded me to not get too comfortable anywhere along the way. And if you're anything like me, you need those constant reminders because we want to get settled. Uh, But God has a way of coming and moving us to that next chapter. Sometimes he has to drag us into that new place of the story that he's writing. I've been thinking about the words of uh, of Ecclesiastes where the author says, there's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up what is planted. Uh, And I just thought, you know, it takes just as much faith, if not more, to do the latter uh, as it does to do the former. It takes faith to do both when he moves us to follow. And, but when we know God's heart for us in Jesus, that he's working for our good and he's working for his glory in this great story, when he does move us, when he does bring hard things into our lives or take us to a new hard place, instead of you know, automatically asking, oh no, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why is God doing this? What is happening? Rather, faith curiously asks, what is God doing? Right? What is he up to? There's an excitement, there's an optimism, an opportunity as God leads us to that new place because we know how the journey ends. And so like Israel, when they ate the Passover, if you remember in the Old Testament, the Lord said, eat the Passover with your sandals on and your bags packed because I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue you and take you on a long journey. He tells us to do the same, to stay ready to go at any moment because we're pilgrims. The Bible says we're sojourners or refugees being led home. Hebrews says we're going to a better country, a heavenly one. We stay on the move. And so even after Israel got to the promised land and they settled down in Canaan, God still kept them on the move. Three times a year, they would make this long hike to Jerusalem for feasts and to celebrate and remember all that God had done for them in their story. I I live in Eagle Lake, lived there all my life. And anytime you're leaving to go to Winter Haven and someone says, where are you going? You always say, uptown. We always say, going uptown. We never say downtown. We always say uptown. Have a couple theories as to why, because of fancy Winter Haven relative to Eagle Lake with Chick-fil-A and Big Lots and the like, where we did get a Dollar Tree. Um, But, you know, you say going uptown. Uh, But we also, if you look at the map, you're like literally going north. And so we've always said that. And in Israel, anytime you go to Jerusalem, you would answer the same. Hey, where are you going? Well, I'm going uptown. Because even if you were up north in Galilee and you had to travel south, you're still going up. You actually go up 4,000 feet in elevation. And when you drive up there, you're on these switchbacks in the mountains, and it's just beautiful. And, And you go up, up. 
And so they're walking on this long, hard journey three times a year. And as you know, when you go on long hikes or long road trips, uh, nothing helps pass the time like singing. You sing as you go. And so God, knowing that and the way he wired us, he gave Israel songs to sing for their journey. And so deep in the Psalms, there's this like mini song book called the Psalms of Ascent with 15 songs, okay, that are called Psalms. And they, the people sang them as they went up to Jerusalem. And it, they're songs that tell their story because like us, we're prone to forget our story. We're prone to forget as we're on this journey, especially as it gets hard. And so they sang these songs to remember. And God gave these songs for us too because we have uh, spiritual amnesia. It's reported that Martin Luther was one, once asked, why do you preach the same message every week? And he said, because you forget it every week. Right? And maybe you can relate to that. We preach, we sing, we read, we rehearse the story of the gospel week in and week out to remember what's true, to remember who God really is, because our hearts can still whisper that lie that he's not for us. So we have to sing that same song. We sing to remember where we're going and, and why we're going on this journey. And so each of these Psalms of Ascent, uh, they emphasize a different aspect of faith along the journey. And in today, in Psalm 126, we're going to specifically look at joy and kind of consider the question, how can we have joy along the way, especially as life on the road can be scary and it can be hard? And additionally, do tears have any place in that equation? Do tears have a place alongside joy? And so there's an outline in your worship folder uh, I want to look at three things this morning. One, shouts of joy in the past, shouts of joy in the future, and then finally, tears that long for joy in the present. Uh, when I was growing up, one of the most famous rap songs started out, It Was All a Dream. Uh, no Biggie Smalls fans, there's one in the back, but that's how the song started out. In Israel's song, it starts the same. They look back on their past and they say, it was, it was like a dream. And we're tempted to look back on times in life and sometimes say those were the, the good old days. Yeah, we're tempted to look back. Sometimes I hold a baby like my newborn nephew and I, and I think, I, I miss this. I just want another one. And that's just like a split second. And I say, Jeff, get a hold of yourself, you know, <laughs> slap myself. Come back, come back. I remember no sleep and diapers and they were good, sweet days. Facebook memories is deceptive when it pops one of those up like from seven years ago uh, but there were exhausting days and nostalgia can be tricky right uh, the, the, the old days were good but they're not always you know as good as we remember but we have had times in our past when just even just for a moment everything seemed just right when God's hand just seemed so heavy and evident in our lives and we had rest and peace and joy and there was just this wholeness to life to where we kind of had to pinch ourselves and as Israel they begin to hike. They sing about a time in the past like that. Look at verse 1. They say, when the Lord restored our fortunes, when he brought us back home to Zion, we were like those who dream. If you know Israel's history, it was one of slavery and exile and deliverance, kind of repeatedly. He delivered them from Egypt, and he delivered them from Babylon. And so they reminisce right here, and they're looking back, and they're saying, man, when he showed up, and he rescued us, and he took us home, and he restored more than we had ever lost, it felt too good to be true. We went home. You guys remember those days? I love verse two, you can't read it and not smile. He says, we just laughed and laughed. Our mouths were just filled with laughter. And we've all had those times where you just felt like we couldn't believe it. 
And they sing our tongues. We're filled with shouts of joy. And then in verse 2, they say, yeah, and remember how all the nations looked at us? And they said, wow, look at what God has done for them. The Lord's done great things for them. They were just a trophy of God's mercy and grace. And Israel responds in verse 3 to the nations, and they say, yeah, he sure did. He's done great things for us, and we are glad. Now remember, they're not singing this song as they're like having a glass of wine, getting a pedicure. It's easy to remember the good old days when like life feels like that. But they're hiking under the hot sun, kicking up dust. It's a dangerous, exhausting journey. Their present circumstances are not great at all. So what are they doing? Like what does this teach us about the practice of joy and the discipline of having joy? And in verses 1 through 3, we learn joy builds on the past. Or as Eugene Peterson says, he says, joy has a history. It has a story to tell. As a UCF fan, I know this. I'm living off of bowl victories from eight years ago. I pull the joy. You say, that's old news, Jeff. UCF doesn't matter. And I say, it's still as real to me today as it was back then. I pull that joy into the present. And that's what Israel is doing. They're looking on these times in the past when God had worked. He'd rescued them and restored what they had lost. He had provided for them. And they were using that to find joy when life was hard. Notice they even use the present tense. Look at verse 3. They're looking back and yet they say, we are glad. The past is still that tangible. That deliverance back then and what God did wasn't just for them. But it still had a present power in their lives. And so they sang of the past to take heart in the present. Their joy wasn't based on their current circumstances, but it was based in and found in remembering who God was and how he had loved them. And so they said, and if he did it then, then he'll do it again. With mutual funds, they say past performance is no guarantee of future returns. And yet Israel is just flipping that totally, right? They say God's past performance is a guarantee of future returns, where can you look back and see God's grace in your life and just say, wow, what's your story? How has he guided you, provided for you, providentially protected you along the way? Do his past acts of mercy and salvation have a place in your present joy? Or have you yet to attribute those deliverances and those mercies in your past to his hand? What would it look like to slow down and take those things off the shelf that you haven't looked at in a long time and just stop and wonder and say, wow, can you believe what God did for us? But also notice they have joy because their rescue was surprising. Like you don't have joy if you expect something, right? If your kid opened their gift on Christmas and said, yeah, that's what I thought, dad. Like headlock immediately to my boys. Entitlement kills joy. It crushes joy. And Israel doesn't say, you know, when the Lord finally showed up, it was about time. <laughs> it took long enough. No, they knew their rescue was an act of complete grace. And grace, like when God is moving in your life, when you know you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it, creates joy. Is God's love, his mercies, his fondness, his love, the gospel, is it a surprise to you? Or do you say, well, I mean, that's God's job. Or do you look back and you see his hand and you say, I can't believe he did that for me because there's nothing in me that would attract his favorable attention. Joy is found in the surprise of grace. My uncle got my three boys slingshots for Christmas. They're ages five, seven, and nine. Don't do that to your kids or who have kids. 
And it didn't take them long to learn how to shoot one another, but also like they learned the further you pull that thing back, the further that bullet shoots. We've, we've learned some hard lessons with that. Uh, joy has a similar dynamic. Like Israel's joy in the Lord and their joy in their deliverance was only as great as their captivity was terrible. Their joy in their deliverance was only as great as their captivity was terrible. The further back the bad news of sin and death pulls us, the further the good news of the gospel shoots us into godly joy. But if you say, well, I mean, I wasn't that far gone. To be honest, I'm like a first round draft pick for heaven and God's lucky to have me. Well, you'll shrug at the gospel. You don't really need Jesus, to be honest, that much. You weren't that far gone, you know, a little bit of sin, you have a little bit of a savior. There's no joy in that. There's no heart change. But if you say, I was in exile, and in many ways, I put myself there, and yet he still came for me. And I've got to pinch myself. I was guilty, and now I'm completely forgiven. Think of the contrast. I was an orphan doing life on my own, and now I have a father who loves me. I'm a child of God. I was dead in my sin, and now I have eternal, eternal life. If that's, if that's true, you'll sing for joy, right? The, the younger brother knew he had been in a far country in the story of the prodigal son. And so when he comes home and he turns in the driveway and he expects a lecture from his dad, and yet his dad runs down the driveway and picks him up in his arms, and he says, my boy is home. There was a party. But the elder brother, his biggest problem is that he didn't have this dynamic. He didn't know his lostness. In his mind, he had never left home, and that was his biggest problem. And all of his goodness resulted in absolute joylessness. If there's no exile, there's no homecoming. If you don't know your lostness, you can't know your foundness. You won't rejoice in your foundness. So what's the dynamic between those two in your life? How big is that gap between what you know you deserved and yet what you've received from his hand? Is there any surprise to your testimony? Is there any surprise to just his daily provision and grace in your life? If so, then you're on the right track for joy. So first, we just have to remember, as we see in this song, we have to look back and remember all that God has done for us in the past along our road trip of faith, and we need to mutually encourage one another with our stories. When my faith is weak, I need to hear your story about what God has done in your life, and you need to hear mine. And that's how we put courage into one another as we go on this journey of faith. And that's what they're doing right here. They're saying, remember when God did this? And remember when he did that? Because the journey gets hard. We stop and laugh and say, wow, he's so good. But if you look, joy not only builds on the past, it borrows from the future. So if joy was personified, just picture its arms stretched backwards and forwards, pulling both into the present. That's what joy does. I Googled this, and there are 305 days until Christmas, and my son has a full Christmas list already. Full list. He reminds me every day about it, and he's pumped every day. Daddy, you won't, I mean, it changes every day, but it's there. And, and I think, I say, son, you need to settle down, and we got a long road ahead of us. Let's ride this out a little bit. But it, he's pumped in the present for what's 300 days away. And if I'm honest, I do the same thing with vacation. I can have a bad day, and yet to cope sometimes, I'm like, well, I, I got the beach coming this summer, so come at me, life. I'm going to make it through anything. We see it on Facebook, right? People post a picture of a cruise ship, and they say, cruise 2027. I'm so excited. It's like eight years away, and yet it does something for them right now. 
Why do we do this? It's because joy not only has a history, it has a future. We reach out into what we know awaits us and we pull it into the present. And of course, we know Christmas gifts and vacations fade their gifts from God, but they don't really address the deeper issues of why the journey is so difficult now. They're like band-aids. They, you know, they temporarily distract us for a while, but they don't last. They don't get down into the, to our fear and our anxiety and our despair and like give us deep joy. But because Israel knew who God was based on the past, they expected him to move in the future. They knew he's a God of the covenant. He always comes through. And he had given them real tangible promises that could light up even their deepest darkness in the present. And so in verses five and six, if you look, they say, those who sow in tears shall reap. They're looking ahead. There's a future reality there. They shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for the sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Notice God's people are trapped now by shouts of joy in verse two. They have shouts of joy in the past. Verses five and six, they have shouts of joy in the future. And so they're actively calling to mind God's promises as they make their way. They're singing. They're saying, guys, I know this is hard. I know it feels like all we're doing is sowing in faithfulness and obedience, working for justice and parenting and loving when it's hard and we can't see the crop. But their song is saying, but this isn't the end of the story. Don't be deceived. He's He's working. The way of the kingdom is slow and it's quiet. And most of the time it's invisible. It's like seed in the dirt. So don't be surprised when there's seasons where you just, when it feels that way and you don't see anything, but be assured they're singing, it will break out. Prophet Isaiah said, one day you'll trade in your ashes for a beautiful headdress and your mourning for gladness, your faint spirit for a garment of praise and your broken down walls for a built up city and you'll come home singing with everlasting joy and there will be no more sorrow. And through Jesus, those same promises belong to us. The promises of Christ, if you remember from Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear. He will dig out every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What is the present value of the future yet-to-be-fulfilled promises of God in your life right now? Say that again. What is the present value of the promises of God that are to be fulfilled in the future in your life, on the concrete of your life, practically right now? Are they a comfort to you in the midst of your suffering and where you're losing heart? Do you grab onto those for joy, or are they just abstract and you don't think about them very often? We have hope. As I've said, I have three boys, and I remember how painful labor was as an observer uh, uh, for Marissa. uh, But after the boys were born, she never said, Jeff, can you just put the baby over there for a few minutes, and let's just talk about how bad that was for a few minutes? I mean, I just need a few minutes. Just take him away. No, right? The joy of the arrival of her son completely swallowed up any pain that led to it. She's beaming. She's, let me hold my baby. She didn't even remember how hard it was. The pain completely faded in light of the present arrival of joy. And that's not my illustration. That's Jesus who said, that's why you need to take heart because of the bright, bright future that awaits us. That's what it's going to be like. In John 16, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, your sorrow will turn into joy. 
When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Is there any wonder in your heart as you think about what's coming for those who are in Christ? Like think about what do you long to see made whole? What specifically is your heart hurting about and you long to see made whole and are you leaning into God's promises that he will fulfill that desire? Even if you're not a believer, if you're just a skeptic, I would ask you to look down at those deep, deep desires that you have and just see if maybe Jesus is touching on those too because ultimately we're all longing for the same thing. And we're all going about it crazy ways and it can be very destructive and yet Jesus says, I'm the only one who can do that. I'm gonna make all things new and all things right. And Israel's grabbing onto that. They're reaching back for joy. They're reaching forward for joy, trying to bring it into the present because if you look closely, they're tempted to lose heart in their present circumstances. As we look at this third point, I love music. And uh, if you know anything about music, uh, almost on every album, there's at least like one sad song, you know, to keep it diverse. There's one song in a minor key. And if the Psalms were an album, they kind of are, 150 tracks, long album, uh, one-third of them would be in a minor key if you had the Psalms album, if you listen to it, which if, you know, if this encapsulates the normal experience of a full human life of walking with God, that means one-third of life feels like it's in the minor key. At least it was for the psalmist. And the Bible calls that lament. Those are laments. And I'm reading a great book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by a guy named Mark Vrogop, and the quote's in your worship folder, but he said, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling, listen, wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. It stands in the gap between pain and promise. And that's where Israel finds themselves in that already and not yet. They're right in the middle between past joy and future joy. And yet in verse four, right in the middle of this Psalm, if you look, we see present pain because they're crying out and they say, restore our fortunes, O Lord. In other words, they're crying out, do it now. You've done it, you've done it then, you're gonna do it, do it now. They cry like streams in the Negev, which is the southern desert region in Israel. That when, and when it rains there, it can cause flash floods and it can turn the land green like overnight really quickly. And so they're saying, Lord, make grace burst forth like a flood in our dry hearts and lives right now. Make life come out of this dead desert place that I'm in. Bring resurrection. And so they're weeping as they sing. And lament is that song we sing when the reality of our circumstances don't match up with the promises of God. They don't seem to match up. There's this dissonance. And we look around and say, I know who God is. I know what he's done. I know what's coming. But right now just doesn't match up with that. So Lord, help me. Where do you feel that tension right now? Where are you living in that gap, that already and not yet. And are you taking your raw honesty to God? Because he can handle it. That's what a lament is. And one of the greatest myths of Christianity is that when we believe, God will immediately take away all our tears. Eugene Peterson said, one of the most remarkable things Christian learn is that laughter does not exclude weeping. Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come, but they're unable to drive out the happiness of the redeemed. So this psalm is saying, listen, God is with you. He's working. 
He's leading. Fullness of joy is coming. But for now, expect tears. Expect tears, which means tears aren't evidence of a lack of faith. I'll say that again. Tears, coming to terms, dealing with suffering, and that hurting is not evidence of a lack of faith. They're an honest human reaction to living as a child of God who's longing for wholeness while traveling through a broken world. That's what tears are. As a matter of fact, when you become a Christian, you get more tears. Welcome to the Christian faith, right? You start to feel the pain of the world more than you did before. You feel, you, you, you feel the pain of evil in a new way. You grieve over your sin and the sin of other people more. God softens your heart. You long for more. You desire more. You lean in. There's more tears. And that's a gift because actually our best ministry is done through tears. Jesus was the perfect man who had the perfect heart. He's the most joyful man to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet the Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hmm. So faith doesn't look stoic just grinding it out on the journey. And faith doesn't have a fake smile on all the time. Faith is honest. Jesus didn't insulate his heart from the pain and sorrow of the world. He wasn't too spiritual for suffering and tears. Remember, he didn't lecture Mary and Martha at Lazarus's grave and say, what are y'all crying about? Turn your frown upside down. Don't you know God's promises? Get it together. Where's your faith? No, he just wept, thank God. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. The son of man who knew what would happen. Most joyful man and yet weeping with his friends. Christian joy doesn't act like things aren't wrong or hard. As a matter of fact, the world will see right through that. They'll see right through a faked forced happiness. They they know better. What it needs is a deeper joy that honestly weeps and yet still has a song that sings though the wrong seems off so strong God is the ruler yet that's joy that's biblical Christian joy but the psalmist doesn't just say hey so heads up you're gonna cry a lot no he says so do something with your tears if you look at verses five and six there's this farming imagery And Pastor Tim Keller was helpful here. He said there's two mistakes that can happen uh, when a farmer is sowing seed. Two mistakes that a farmer can make. One, he could take all the seed and dump the whole bag out in one spot. Or he could just sit on the seed and never spread it, never take it to the right place. And we can make the same mistake with our tears. We can just vent them and, and dump them out with no aim to them. We can never take our tears to the right place. Or we can just stuff them down and never express them. And a third way, though, the psalmist presents to us. Instead, the psalmist says, sow your tears. Invest your tears in God and the things of God, and there will be a return. Because your tears are like seeds that are preparing your heart for a harvest of joy, which is good news because that means our suffering isn't meaningless and our pain isn't wasted. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 56, Lord, you catch all my tears. You catch them. You keep track of them. None of them are lost. They all matter. Your tears of faithfulness and working for mercy and justice when it's hard. Our tears of raising our children in the Lord, thinking, is this futile? Will there ever be any fruit come from this? Your tears in fighting for your marriage when it's hard, not giving up on your promises. Your tears in praying for the lost of a lost one, a child or a friend who you wonder if they'll ever come back. Your tears of doing the hard work of forgiveness and fighting for friendship. Take those tears 
to God, the psalmist is saying, and trust him to bring about a harvest. Eugene Peterson says, all suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed sown in God. It will finally bring a harvest of joy. In other words, keep doing what God tells you to do. Stay faithful. Even when you can't see how it's all going to turn out, Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. None of our tears that we shed along the journey in, in laboring for God's kingdom, in denying ourselves to follow Jesus, in longing for things to be made right and whole and new, none of them are wasted. God is mysteriously using them to prepare glory for us. Now, how do we know that? How do we, how do we know that our tears will produce joy, that we can weep and still have joy at the same time. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because God the Father is the true sower. He, he cast his only son to the earth like seed from heaven. And as Jesus made his own ascent into Jerusalem, if you remember, he's climbing that hill into Jerusalem. It wasn't towards a, a resting place or a party or a festival, but it was towards a cross. Verse six, he went out weeping. And as he entered the city of Jerusalem, he said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's hard to believe Jesus isn't thinking of Psalm 26 in that moment. 126. Jesus plants his tears, but he doesn't only plant his tears. He planted his very life for our sins so that we might reap the fruit of salvation so that he might defeat the grave and bring us home to heaven as his sheaves with great shouts of joy because of the promises that he's making all things new and right. And so the promise of the gospel is this. If your faith is in Jesus, this psalm says, and the gospel says, there's only one way this ultimately ends for you, and it's in songs of joy and gladness and a great harvest. And the hard things that you're experiencing along the journey aren't just annoying inconveniences along the way, but are mysteriously contributing to the glory that will be revealed in you. And this is how the Apostle Paul could sing while he sat in prison and write letters to the Philippians. And he said, I've learned the secret, guys. I know how to rejoice in all circumstances. It's knowing the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's knowing that there is no condemnation for you in Christ. It's knowing that he can even take the bad things and work them for good, and that's exactly what he's doing. It's knowing that suffering will come, but nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When uh, my, one of my sons was a baby, uh, he could only sleep while I sang, Jesus loved me. Uh, that was it. I mean, I got so desperate at times, I would drive him around every street of Winterhaven at like 2 a.m., because he was crying, but then I found, I found the secret. I found seeing Jesus loves me, and he would go to sleep, and so I'd rock him forever, and uh, sing, and sing, and sing, and finally be asleep, and yet when I'd lay him in his crib, right when I stopped, and his back hit the mattress, you know, he would just cry out, and I would start all over again, and then I figured it out. This is a pro-parenting tip hack. I recorded myself singing Jesus loves me, and I looped it, and it played all night long. And it's one of my greatest achievements. And I, Daddy, Daddy, he probably thinks I'm the most faithful man ever to walk the face of it. Daddy stayed in my room and sang all night when I was a baby. Um, he, would, he would sleep. And as long as I kept singing, he could rest. And this psalm is the same. This is actually a community lament. The people of Israel would sing this all together. And there's something in that 
that, that just reminds me that we have to keep singing this song. And when we stop singing, we start to lose it. Israel would sing this song multiple times a year. I need to hear you sing it. And you need to hear me sing it to build up our faith, to remind one another that our labor is not in vain, to stay faithful, to remind us of what's true, to not give up, to remind us that God is leading us home. Christian, right? Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's the promise of the gospel. In other words, take heart because your lament one day will give way to only laughter. That's our hope. And so for now, we look back for joy. We look forward for joy, but we're also honest as we cry out right now, restore us, O Lord, restore us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and these songs. And it just, it's amazing to me as we look at these scriptures from thousands of years ago with people in an absolute different world and culture, yet the human experience stays the same. We feel that as the people of God, even in 2020, we cry out, restore us, O Lord. No matter how many times we try to sink our feet down here, it doesn't feel like we're home. And if we're really honest with, our, with ourselves, we know that there are so many unfulfilled desires in our hearts and in our souls. And so we long, forgive us for when we resist being pilgrims. Forgive us when we don't want a journey, Lord. Remind us that you are leading us. And thank you, Father, that we don't have to walk this journey alone. Not only are you with us, and you promise that you'll never leave us or forsake us, but we have the people of God. We have this church. We have one another. Uh, this journey of faith is meant to be done in community. And so, Lord, give us the grace to look back in our lives and rejoice in our story and the ways you've led us and provided for us. If we've never located your hand in our history, give us eyes to see. Forgive us for taking glory for the quote-unquote victories that we've had in our past and help us to look up to you and give you thanks. And Lord, make your future promises tangible for us. Take them out of the clouds and the abstract and bring them down to the concrete of our lives. And right now we pray, Father, restore us whether it's a dry desert feel in our parenting or in our marriage or our job circumstances, Lord, we cry out, restore us, make grace, just burst forth. Give us soft hearts to forgive and to show mercy and be kind and love and to keep laboring and sowing our tears and trusting you to bring about a harvest. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So this benediction really has a twofold purpose. The first one is just to remind you that the Father is smiling over you as you go, right? The guarantee of you ending up at home is not dependent upon how well you make this journey. You're going to stumble and fall, but that's why Jesus came. He never did. And so he will land us there, the Father smiling over you, but it's also a word of, of sending to go. And I have to make a C.S. Lewis reference because I'm at Redeemer City, but he said that our joy is only complete when we share it. When you're excited about something, you have to let people know. And so this is a, a commissioning to go live in such a way that the world would lean in and say, wow, the Lord has done great things for you. And that it would open a door so you can say, yeah, let me tell you about it. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And so if your faith is in Christ, receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in God's peace.